Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. The matchups, the superstars, the games. Starting defense, place at the table. Wow! This is Football Sunday on The Fan, a comprehensive look at today's National Football League action with your hosts, Mike Lynch and Rashad Taylor. You all know what you have to do. Remember, no one, and I mean no one, comes into our house and pushes us around. This is Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Well, hey, this is going to be a strange show today. Because I am sitting in the producer booth, and Rashad is through the glass. Yeah, it, it always feels like a prison visit when we're having a show like this. It does. I just put my hand up on the yeah, glass, and you like can put you your know, hand up a, on mine, and we a have fist and say, "Man, amen." You stay uh, strong in there. Don't. If I'm putting a hand on the glass, you're not putting a fist on the glass. Yeah, okay? so putting a fist. Listen, we're not gonna touch. We're not. We're not in love. Like we're just not gonna. We're not gonna touch hands like that. We're not in love. I mean, I love Rashad. You. I love you, but I'm not in love with you. Like. There's a, I think there's a my difference. whole world is turning upside down. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we are we are doing this today with uh, without Jesse. He is in Vegas this weekend, and nobody was available to fill in for him today. So it is I here behind the glass with Rashad here uh, in his usual spot. The story of football and sports Sunday, man. Everybody's everybody's busy on Sunday. Everybody's going to Vegas. That's what's happening. Yeah, no, I mean Jesse is the third of us to go to Vegas in the last month. It's which a good is, time to get there. Yeah, absolutely. I bet you he watched Auburn, Oregon somewhere and got really, really, really mad yesterday. Guaranteed he did. <laughs> Guaranteed. Probably got asked to leave. Uh-oh. Yeah. If you, if Which you is know, hard to do in Vegas. If you know nothing about Jesse, Jesse is one of the, I'm going to put this kindly, most passionate fan fans of his team that I've ever seen. I think he's crazy. And that includes his fantasy football team. Um I remember last year he said this. I wasn't here. He was doing a Seahawks game after the show. And it was like the the fantasy championship or semifinal or something in his playoffs. And he lost on the last play that they had. And he said he, you could hear him through the entire building screaming and cursing. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I yeah. hope everything is okay. That, I remember him drafting. And I think accidentally drafted Joyke Bell. I do remember Or something that. like that. That was and like four years ago. He yeah. lost his ass at that point. So, yes, uh passionate is probably a, a great word to use for one Jesse Osmond. So he is out today. So he'll be back next week for week one of the NFL, which is very, very exciting. But we have a ton of football to get to today because yesterday and Friday and Thursday and today and tomorrow is week one of the college football season. And we have a lot to talk about with Oregon Auburn. We've got plenty to talk about with Oregon State, Oklahoma State. And uh, we also have NFL stuff today on the show as well because – you had a big name player cut. You had a bunch of trades yesterday. You always have trades happen when the the cut day is after the preseason. Jadeveon Clowney now a Seattle Seahawk, and they absolutely fleeced the Texans in the trade. Uh, Laramie Tunsil now a Houston Texan. That's who they were trying to get for Jadeveon Clowney, and they did the trade anyway without Clowney. So lots of trades happening yesterday, and uh, I saw one more actually that I actually didn't know happened. 
Uh, yeah, Kiko Alonso, now Sh- a New Orleans Saint, former Oregon Duck. He's now on the Saints. Shaden McCoy, now with the Kansas City Chiefs. He got cut, but signed with the Chiefs yes. on a one-year deal, yes. Mm-hmm. So lots of lots of NFL stuff to get to as well. And also Melvin Gordon now being allowed to seek a trade from the Los Angeles Chargers. So very, very interesting stuff to come. So we will get to a lot of that NFL stuff in hour number two. And we will focus mostly hour number one here on college football. And I wanted to wanted to share this before we dove into it quickly. I'm an absolute lunatic. And yesterday, I don't know why I got this in my head that I was going to do this, but I did this. I watched sports except for an hour window from 8.30 to 9.30. I watched sports from 4.30 in the morning yesterday until 7.30 at night. Straight. Can't do it. And... The reason I woke up so early was because my team in the Premier League Southampton was playing the early game, which and they're not usually on TV because they're not a big team. And I was like, oh, I mean, I might as well just get up and watch the game if I'm going to be watching football all day, right? I was like, ah, I'll set the alarm and see how I feel. I set the alarm for 4.15, and as I was going to sleep, I was like, yeah, I'm not waking up for that. 4.15 hits, I was like, let's go! I'm waking up for that. And uh, yeah, so I basically I went for a little workout in the middle there. But beyond that, I watched sports the entire day. And that ended in the Timbers game at night, 730 to 930. And then I went right to sleep. I went to sleep at like 945. (laughs) I'm sorry. Like that sounds I love sports. I really, really do. However, I I get so bored watching sports all day. Like I I need I need to switch it up. I watched The Office for a little bit yesterday, kind of switched that up, you know, stepped outside, did some stuff, got some Mexican food. You know, so I just I can't sit there and watch 13 football games, you know, in a row. I'd be a terrible like uh, film guy because I'm not watching all that film. I I would go crazy, you know, all day. I need to I need monotony like that would get on my nerves. So I don't know. You're you're a beast for being able to wake up at 430 to watch soccer like that. That's that's, (laughs) I mean, it it is my favorite team. I get it. but It's still soccer. I mean, it's 2000. Uh, 19, almost 20. I'm sure you could have recorded it and watched it at 7.30 in the morning. You know what? That would have been smart. But if I had done that, I You're not going to get any spoilers about your soccer teams. I, I almost I, guarantee it. Well, I would have had an update on my phone probably. But uh, I, w- I wouldn't have been able to work out that day because I would have been watching the soccer game and then immediately watching college football. And I really wanted to be ready at 9 to just take in all the football that I could. Like I, I, I love college football, but as the year goes on, I start to watch less and less because you've been watching it every single oh, no. weekend. The first week is the week, the one week that people do really binge watch. You're so football. hyped about it starting. Yeah. And that's how I felt yesterday. I was so excited that college football was back that I was like, you know what? I just want to hang out at home. We ordered food in. I just want to hang out at home and watch football all day. And uh, my wife actually was, she, she thought she was traveling this weekend. She was not. And she was like, yeah, I'll watch football with you all day. I was like... Hell yeah. yeah. Let's do it. And she watched almost all day with me, too. She she got up and did her own thing at, like, probably halftime of the Ducks game, but she was just keeping an eye on it because it had, at that point, been, like, nine hours. But, yeah, she was she was passionate about it, too. It was cool. That's well, That's dope, you know? Family that watches football together typically stays together. I think that's the... I think that's what the saying is. I'm not sure if I got that. I right. don't know if I've ever heard that, but I'll adopt that. Yeah, it that sounds, sounds good. good to me. Yeah, it's something you should you should definitely. Adopt and she's it. even more excited about the NFL starting next week. So that's going to be fun. I'm I'm looking forward to that. You know, but college there's something there there's something cool the 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 fight songs the the jerseys the just the overall pageantry of just you know college football. 
is super dope. And everybody for their first game kind of had that same feeling. Like there wasn't a, a stadium, you know, across college campuses that wasn't completely buzzing, completely rocking. And, man, a bunch of freshmen, freshman quarterbacks, true freshman quarterbacks are all around the country were a lot of them winning too. Out there showing the ass and out there just winning winning football games. So man, yeah, yesterday was a great day for college football. I just couldn't watch everything. Like I'll watch some of the game. I'll watch maybe a quarter, quarter and a half, you know, when depending on where where in the game it is and depending on what game it is. And then I'll turn the channel, turn the channel. Like, let me find something. I'm going to go ahead oh, and assume, though, you watched most of Oregon Auburn, if not all of it yesterday. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I watched that entire game. And I think that's why I didn't watch everything else, because I knew I was saving up to watch that game. That was I didn't want to be interrupted for that game. That was the game of the day of the week. And it was a good game. It was very close. It was very, very stressful at the end for both teams. And uh, we will dive into that getting, coming up here next. So if you want to interact with us all show long, We'll take all of your Ducks thoughts at the Better You Today text line at 55305. Same with Beaver fans out there. We're going to get to you once we get done with the Ducks game because it happened, well, yesterday, just hours ago. And then we'll dive into Oregon State, Oklahoma State, which was also a pretty good game, at least until the, the third quarter. So we'll, we'll get into that as well. Text in your thoughts at the Better You Today text line at 55305. We'll be putting a Facebook post up at facebook.com slash 1080 fan as well. So you can respond to stuff on there. Our social media pages, I am at Mike Lynch 27 on Twitter. Rashad is at TaylorMade503 on Twitter. And Jesse, our producer, who is out today, is at Jesse Osman, A-S-Z-M-A-N. Shoot us some tweets there as well, and we can uh, keep an eye on the mentions and, and talk about that on the show too. So there's a lot to get to with Oregon-Auburn, and I wonder where you want to start first, Rashad. Would you like to start with the positives? Would you like to start with the negatives? Do you want to dive into the play calling or Justin Herbert or the timeout management or where do you want to start? What do you, what I mean, do you think? What, I mean, pick one. Like, honestly, there, there's a lot to tackle on any of them. So, okay. I'm not tripping. Like, I mean, let's, we can, we can. Here's where, here's where we should start. I think then, because this was the number one thing I saw on social media last night after the game was Arroyo season two starting the same as Arroyo season one ended conservative vanilla play calling late in the game. That's where we'll start. That is next here on Football Sunday on 1080 The Fan. Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Sorry, trying to figure out where all the buttons are on this page here. We are back with a lot of football to get to. And we will start with Oregon-Auburn, and we will start with what I think is the talking point of game number one. And I think the overarching talking point is that Oregon left this game on the table multiple times and places. That is the main theme that I've seen. Whether it's the drop touchdown pass from Addison in the first half, the easy touchdown catch that he just mm -hmm. dropped, hit off his chest and went out of bounds. And then right after that, missing the 20-yard chip shot field goal with the true freshman. So you left seven or at least three points on the table. You're talking about the vanilla play calling in the second half. You're talking about the horrific timeout management, which included a timeout on the very first play of the game because wide receivers didn't know where they were going, as well as two timeouts on the fourth and one play that was very, very important for Oregon. And then on that fourth and one play, running the most telegraphed running play to the left in the history of the world that everyone knew was coming. And of course, Auburn, who has one of the best defensive fronts in the country, was able to stop it. 
missed opportunity after missed opportunity after missed opportunity. At halftime, it was 14 to 6. It felt like it should have been 24 to 6, Oregon, at that point. They did score the touchdown to make it 21 6 early in the second half, and you're like, okay, maybe some order here is restored. No. After that, the, the play calling got even worse. And I think that's where I want to start is last year, the biggest question with Oregon, who was a good team, was Mar- Marcus Arroyo as an offensive play caller didn't look the part. He had vanilla play calling. There were issues all across the board. You know, receivers dropped a ton of passes last year. He had young running backs, freshman running backs who were not exactly experienced yet. But he just didn't call plays that inspired confidence. Well, Mario Cristobal shows some support for his staff and keeps him around for year number two. And in the first half of the game, I thought the play calling was solid. You know, you had the drop touchdown pass or else it'd be 21-6 at that point in the game. Actually, it would have been 21-3. And I'm watching this going, all right, Arroyo, I see what you're doing. They had some trickery. They had some good motion plays going on. They had some good running running plays designed. They had some decent passing plays as well. I know you... I know you're not, you don't have your full strength of receivers, but you have Justin Herbert and you have guys who can catch the ball. You know, Johnny, Johnny Johnson looked great yesterday catching the ball. Jalen Red looked good yesterday as well. And they, they were really taking advantage of it. And then the second half started, and all of a sudden, it all went to S. It was run up the middle, run up the middle, three yard out, third and three, uh, three and out, punt the ball. Run up the middle, three yard out, three yard out, punt. Every single drive. And, I think that's why Duck fans are concerned about the play calling and especially concerned about Marcus Arroyo is you have Justin Herbert. So what if you don't have all your receivers? You have one of the better quarterbacks in the country, at least supposedly. Why are you going so vanilla in the second half when you have a lead? Yeah, I mean, it was – I can see kind of why what they were thinking, and I think the, the thought was let's be conservative and not lose this game. Let's just try to run the ball. Let's get short passes. Let's just try to move the ball up the field. We're not going to try to take long strikes down the field and risk an interception. And I think that's what we saw. You know, the, the first half, man, Justin Herbert was awesome. You know, he he had, uh, was – I think he had 122 yards passing in the first half. But I saw a stat that those passes went for 12 yards um, per reception. So every single time he's passing the ball, it was going for at least the first down. In the second half, he only had 120, so two less yards passing the ball – but every pass was going for six yards. You know, they were purposely not taking a shot at at least the first down marker, and they were just trying to move the ball up the field. And that's why we kept seeing the same, you know, run to, run to the right, you know, then they're going to run to the left, and then now it's going to be a short bubble screen to the right that's not going to go anywhere. And it's like, now okay, Chris tight. Cross. Like, yeah, yeah, slide <laughs> to the left. Like, that's pretty much what was happening last night. And, you know, there's a lot to 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 blame. I think at this point for the Ducks, if if you're Oregon, like the run game w- was almost non-existent. You know, at a point, you know, 90 yards for the entire team. Word, or the Oregon Ducks had 90 rushing yards. That's not man considering that Auburn had 206 and had at least 100 yard rusher. Like 90 yards isn't going to cut it. They ran the ball 33 times. They threw the ball 37 times. Like. I think when you're playing a team like Auburn, like don't go away from what's where you, where your where your money is. You have the best offensive line in the country, or at least we've been hearing one of the best offensive lines in the country. And look, Move the, the offensive ball. line actually played really well. They did well. exactly. They listen. Herbert wasn't. He got sacked what twice. You know what I'm saying? Something like that. But didn't throw any interceptions. They did a good job of protecting him. That first half. There's a reason he was getting 12 yards uh, per throw is because 
Man, yeah, he had oh, sacks. Three sacks, yeah. Okay. But in the first half, like, he was getting really whatever he wanted to because he had that great protection. But so the, And the, the running game in the first half worked a lot better than anything we saw in the second half. And I'm trying to figure out, like, what was the conversation? All right, guys, we got the lead. Let's just – let's not blow it. And well, that's the thing is it was 14-6 to six at halftime, right? Should have been better. We can all agree on that. But 14-6, to six, you have the lead. But it's not like you're up by 30 points. So, yeah, if they're having the conversation, don't blow it, then you're going to call you're going to call a terrible second half, right? You still want to call a game to score touchdowns and win, not just take time off the clock and and hope to God that Bo Nix doesn't figure it out. And that's the other thing, too, is if Mario Cristobal wants to create this mentality for this Ducks team that is, you know, hard nosed, punchy in the mouth really, really power kind of SEC style football with a little flair of Pac-12 Oregon football in there. You should want to slaughter a team if you got them on their Absolutely. heels, right? And Bo Nix looked completely deer in headlights in the first half. He looked so lost. Auburn couldn't get anything going offensively. They settled for multiple field goals. They missed one of them. That to me is put your put your foot on their throat and win the game by 40 points. And whether it was Arroyo or even Cristobal's decision to go to go conservative in the second half, that is a terrible game plan because I'll use this as an example, right? I've seen this a lot this uh, since yesterday's loss. People who are not against Arroyo want to say, well, look at all the receivers that they have out, right? How are you supposed to call an expansive game plan? Well, again, I point you to the first half. Justin Herbert made three or four pinpoint accurate throws that only his receiver could catch. And for the most part, they caught it. There was a play that was, I want to say around the 45 yard line. It was a, I want to say it was a third down play. I'm not going to remember this exactly, but I remember Johnny Johnson going across the middle and Herbert threw it only where he could catch it. And he had to dive to catch it to the right. And no Auburn guy could have touched it. Pinpoint accurate throw. Perfect. There was another throw where he got it just out of the reach of the Auburn guy because it's the only place he could have thrown it for the guy to catch it. Can't remember who it was. And that's who it was who caught the ball, the Oregon guy. Justin Herbert's good regardless of the receivers that you have. In the second half, on that last drive, they ran the same play back-to-back-to-back times. So much so that Auburn decided on finally – the, the number 33 on Auburn actually covered the little out route on Jalen Red, and then Justin Herbert had nowhere to go. They kept running the same play over and over and over again, and it was working, but for three yards. You need to have more creative play calling against one of the better defenses in the country in Auburn and the best defensive line in the country. you got to have better play calling. I 100% agree, and like, like you said, like the first half, that's what we saw. You saw a, a team that was moving the ball, no problem. Everything was working for him. The running backs came in. Troy Dye was able to come in and give you a couple, you know, big plays for, you know, six, seven yards. Uh, C. Dave Verdell, you know, ended up having, you know, a, I'm not going to say a good game, but came in, gave you some positive yards in the, in the beginning. C.J. Verdell was pretty good. Absolutely. You know, and so all of a sudden, like, things just kind of cut off. And I'm, I'm curious of whose decision that was for Justin Herbert for this for, – for, for, Probably the number one, not number one, but probably the first quarterback taken off the board in this year's draft, and you've made him a check down king. Let's go ahead and just throw these, throw this quick slant or throw this five yard out. Like I'm, I was really trying to understand like why they went from moving the ball up the field and past the sticks to let's just go ahead and keep it short and sweet and short and simple. I'm trying to understand what the 
and I think every Duck fan or every, you know, person that watched that game was trying to get, like, what what exactly the problem was. Because, yeah, when you have some of those guys, you keep taking shots down the field. And I think some of the receivers, their confidence was up. Now, mind you, I don't think there's a receiver on the team that's like a game breaker. You know, Johnny Johnson the third played really, really well, you know, yesterday. In terms of the guys who were healthy. Yeah, yeah. but, you know, Brian Addison, before yesterday's game, had only caught one pass. And then he's actually, I think he's the receiver that dropped it he dropped at the it in back the of the end zone. Yep. And and it's important to say this, like he makes that catch. This is a three-point game. You know, they, they, three they score still, game. Yeah, three, yeah, three score game. I mean, if, let's say Auburn does make the comeback oh, the full and comeback. everything like that. Yeah, saying. they make the full comeback, and this is a three-point game where they at least need a field goal to be able to win the game. So Oregon still wins, and I just think it's little mistakes like that. Like if he makes that catch, then we're not. We're not having this conversation about how Oregon blew it, about, yes, how the play calling needs to be you know, better in the future, but we're not talk, having uh, this conversation about the Ducks not winning the game. But it's still – you have the questions about the wide receivers, but you still have to make play calls that are working against the other team, right? And that, I think that's the big, the big thing for me here is I, you, you can change it so that you're not doing really complicated routes or maybe you're not doing route trees that have three options because your main guys aren't there. Uh, it was surprising that Jawan Johnson was a late scratch. Everyone talked about how he seemed like he would be healthy. It was just cramps, and then all of a sudden the calf injury is still there, and he's in sweats before the game, and he's not playing. He's the big transfer for Penn State that everyone's really excited about. Obviously, the Michael Pittman injury is really unfortunate. Uh, Micah Pittman injury is really unfortunate for the, the start of the season. He was apparently wowing in, in spring camp, so in, in training camp in general. But it's not like these guys can't catch a football. And it's not like these guys can't run a route. And that's why I think, whether it was Cristobal or Arroyo, they played not to lose. And you can never play not to lose. That's you have guys who can catch the ball out there. You don't have to be as risky as you were in the first half. If you want to be slightly safer because you have the lead, I understand that. But you still have to be able to to try to score touchdowns and not just try not to lose. Which is why I think this is more of a crystal ball thing than a Royal. So here's, here it is for a Royal. It's like, man, this offense is finally working. Like, we're getting what we want out of right? I mean, if you're the Ducks at this point, you're looking at this like, man, we're getting everything we want. All the all the passes downfield, we got receive, or receivers trucking DBs for touchdowns. Like, we're kind of moving the ball however we want to. Like, let's keep doing that. And now they go, nah, you know what, man, let's just keep it simple. Like, let's let's just try to play keep away. And they played keep away but didn't do a good job of managing the clock. So it doesn't matter if you're just if, – if you're three and out within – 20 30 seconds none of that matters i also think that they were playing keep away because they didn't think bo nicks could beat them no and and, and, bo, then, and you know what they were right for the first three quarters they three were quarter, absolutely three right. and three quarters of the game bo nicks didn't beat them and then he did and then he did and that's and that's what we're going to talk about forget the fact that bo nicks was 13 for 33 or for 31 you know and had two interceptions in that game he looked horrible in did the you, first half did you see the stat that he hadn't been sacked since his junior year of high school since i did see that yeah that's pretty impressive i mean <laughs> not to hit the ground yeah. once in in high school like on your senior year that that's that's pretty tight you know they clearly won state all right we got a lot of text here on the better you today text line 55305 so we'll get to those next and continue with oregon auburn but first i have sports center <laughs> Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. 9.33 here on your Sunday morning. Talking Oregon-Auburn. 
Oregon State, Oklahoma State talk coming up next. And then we dive into a lot of the NFL news from the week, which includes Seattle Seahawks getting Jadeveon Clowney in the West Coast bias, which is coming back today, 10-15. Next week will be our first fantasy scramble in the season as well, which is very exciting. I was able to release Andrew Luck. Oh, that's that's good. I forgot that you said you couldn't release him. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I didn't have to see where I was on the uh, the waiver uh, wire, but yeah, I'm I'm, I'm good. All right, who'd you add instead? Uh, geez, I can't remember. I want to say clearly very good. I want to say Matt Stafford, but that's probably wrong. I know, right? Talk about (laughs) bottom of the barrel scraping for quarterback. I just need him for one week. (laughs) I just need him for the bye week. (laughs) I got you. I got you. All right, so. Text line, better you today. Text line is five, five, three, zero, five. Let's get into some of your thoughts on Oregon's loss to Auburn yesterday. Oregon choked again. Crystal ball looks more like Helton than Saban. That was a true freshman that couldn't throw for three quarters. Yeah. I mean, we, we mentioned it last segment, but Bo Nix was not ready for that stage until the very end of that game. And they kept talking about it on the broadcast. Kirk Herbstreit kept saying it that, Oregon's just going to keep loading up against the run because they know that Bo Nix can't throw the ball. And it worked over and over and over and over again. And Oregon could not capitalize on all of the missed opportunities from Auburn because they miss all the opportunities themselves. And it kept Auburn in the game. I don't know if Cristobal looks more like Helton than Saban, but because they still finished well last year and losing one game is not the end of the world. And it's a game that, Although a lot of Oregon fans had high expectations for, they were still underdogs to start. So don't forget that. At least in Vegas, they were underdogs. But Cristobal has not looked like Saban quite yet. No. He's not a Nick Saban reincarnate for Oregon. He's good, and he's a great recruiter, but <laughs> it's not it's not the same. Yeah, but what good is great recruiting if you don't do anything with the, you know, with the recruits that you have? You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, yes, you you get all these people for their ability to do whatever. Like, Justin Herbert didn't come back his senior year to check down in the biggest game of his year. Like, this is, make no mistake about it. They're not going to play a better team than Auburn this year. You know what no. I'm saying? Like, they're, I mean, this is the best team they played, and they had an opportunity to win, but then you have a guy in Justin Herbert that you can let go, and a guy they're talking about as a Heisman candidate, you know, coming into his senior year. Let him go be great. Like, why would you put him in this cage and say, you know what, you did great the first half. We're just going to take it easy the second half on you and just kind of make sure you don't – we don't really make too many mistakes. Again, the, the the one sentiment that we keep getting from a lot of the text line is, man, we played not to lose. That's what it was. You know, you played conservative and just try not to lose the game, and that's when you lose all the time. On the fourth and one play that got stuffed, after burning those two timeouts, Pistol on fourth and one with the best O-line west of the Mississippi – I thought a power play, maybe even a quarterback sneak, but pistol. I actually forgot about that. That makes it even worse because you're starting your running back that far back from the line. You yeah. have one yard to gain. I was I was looking at that. I was like, okay, we're pistol tight. Like it doesn't uh, make any sense unless it's a trick play, and you know they're going to run something that we haven't seen. Unless is- they're faking the run to the left. <coughs> excuse me, and then do some sort of a rollout screen to the right. Yeah, that's a terrible play call. Uh-oh. I'm coughing. I'm sorry. Get you some water, man. I'll get you um, It's a terrible play call. And not only that, but with two timeouts, you gave the Auburn defense all the time in the world to decide what they were going to do and try to guess what you were going to do, and then you telegraphed it anyway. So it was terrible clock management, and it was a terrible play call. 
Knicks couldn't throw the ball for three quarters, so yeah, stack the box. But when they started gaining confidence, the Ducks' defense folded like last year. I don't know if you want to say folded. That's fair. It I was, think that's it, fair. It was a good drive by Auburn. Um, I think there were a couple of weird things in that drive that happened that were outside of the Ducks' control, such as that review of Bo Nix's fourth and three dive that, that saved the game for Auburn. It seemed like it happened really quickly because they showed an angle at the very end where when his knee was down, the ball was not necessarily at the line to gain. It might have been, but they did. They decided it so quickly and just put the ball down that it felt like they didn't give it the full review. Then on the play after that, one of the worst play calls that Gus Malzahn did all day was that weird halfback draw on first and 10 where the running back didn't go out of bounds and lost three or four yards. And then they put the ball back to the original line of scrimmage, second and 10. Very, very strange plays that kind of kept the momentum going for Auburn when Oregon's defense, I thought, played exceptionally well and didn't fold on that drive. Now, on that last play, McKinley, the safety, came over and batted the ball out of the receiver's hands. And the guy with the receiver just kind of was able to catch it because he was a bigger body. He knocked McKinley to the ground and was still able to get it. But it wasn't a bad play. He still made a play on the ball. The ball did get dislodged from his hands. He was just able to make the catch. So I don't know if I want to say the Ducks' defense folded. There were plays that went against them, but they still they still made a couple of really good stops on that drive and just gave up the touchdown. I, I also don't know if they expected Malzahn to throw a 40-yard pass at that point in the game. No, I just think there was just certain points of the game to where this is where if Oregon stands, then this game is over. You know, the third and fourth and three, you know, uh, with a minute 21 left. I'm only I'm looking at the uh, – uh, Say, look at that memory. Well, no, I'm, 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 I'm literally looking at the drive, the play-by-play, you know, here on, on ESPN.com. But, you know, I'm looking right here, and <laughs> it was – they had a minute, a minute 20-something, and then fourth and three, and you let Bo Nix escape for a first down. And then third and ten, you let them get a first down to keep that drive going – and really put them in the field goal range at that point. They just needed to get a field goal. I've, I'd like the – hey, man, I like the stones on this kid, Bo Nix, to say, yeah, we can win this game. I'm just going to forget a forget a field goal, forget trying to settle and just try to go for three. Let's go for seven. Well, I think that was the difference is you have the Ducks trying not to lose, and you have Gus Malzahn not settling for a field goal, which would have won it, saying let's win this right now. And that's a huge difference in the game for sure. No, and I think that was kind of what did it, but – you know, they went first and first and ten, second and ten, third and ten, and here's where the Ducks have to make a big a big stand completion for 13 yards. You know, that's what won the game. And then the, then there was the big, you know, touchdown pass for 26 yards. And, you know. The, nobody expected him to throw into the end zone on nobody, that play. Nobody expected that. But, you know, as a defense, like, this is where this is where it's important. Fourth quarter, last couple seconds, they're driving down the field to try to win the game or tie the game. Like, you gotta you got to make a stand right there. And I know it's a, a – a young defense with, you know, some guys that are improving. But, man, you get into that situation, you got to be able to pull it out. Supposedly is the right word. Herbert is overrated. That's a text. Better use today. Text line 55305. I understand the sentiment, but I don't think Herbert is overrated. I think Herbert is in a situation where he's not having the plays called to best utilize his skill set. I honestly think that's true. I think there wouldn't be talk from NFL scouts that he's the best quarterback in college football NFL wise right now, if he was overrated, I just think that's, I, I think that would be insane. If they, everyone was this wrong on Herbert and he was overrated. Now he hasn't always shown up in the big games, but it, uh, 
to my point is it hasn't always been his fault. He played well in the first half and showed up in this game. Sure, they had the fumble. It was a big momentum swing. The fumble on the on the the handoff that was almost run back for a touchdown. Although remember Auburn didn't actually score a touchdown on that drive, um, and it was a huge turning point momentum swing in the game. But that was less on Herbert and more on the running back who ran right into his arms versus really kind of having the good mesh point there. And the play calling doesn't utilize Herbert's skills, which is throwing the football. Check down, check down, check down, check down. And at some point, you got to open it up for the guy because he came back for his senior year and is considered one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And it's the tale of two halves. Like the first half, we we literally saw a completely different team, both offensively and defensively. It was a, a more exciting uh, excited team. You could tell that everybody was just so glad to be out there and and doing work for this team. And then all of a sudden, second half came, and it was like, all right, guys, just let's, uh, let's 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 dial it back a little bit. And there's a text here that I completely agree with, and it's the fact that Arroyo and Cristobal looked confused at a point, like they just didn't know what to do anymore, and just kind of like, all right, well, it's not working, but if if at first you don't succeed, try try again type situation and that's 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 what you can't do in college football or in football in general is just become repetitious and like you mentioned the, the 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 play calling as far as the run to the same side three straight plays it's like okay we get it like you want that to work but this isn't practice you do that in practice run it again let's fig- figure out if we can get it to work but in the game if it's not working after the second time okay let's play action this way and then throw the other way do something different but it, it just never came and I'm just I just I would love to be a fly on the wall in that locker room to see man who made that decision like who, who which which coach said to the test said to the other one you know what man let's just let's dial it back a little bit who was the better team he's recruiting great we had a good enough players to win and just didn't do it another text at the better you today text line five five three zero five I do think that Oregon was the better team in this game I think they had more talent than Auburn did on the field minus the receiving core in this game. So to that text point, that's right. The better team should have won, and I think the better team was Oregon, and they let the ball slip, or they let the game slip through their fingers because of play calling, coaching decisions, and a couple of other things. Now, quickly before we break and get into the Oregon State game from Friday night, some positives. I thought the Oregon offensive line showed up and played really, really well. Auburn's defensive line is no joke. They have a ton of returning starters. They're a really, really good defensive line, and Oregon's offensive line played a hell of a game, keeping them at bay. Herbert only took three sacks. Uh, Oregon didn't run the ball super well, but I think that was more, again, on, on some of the play calling than it was on the offensive line. I thought they played very, very well, especially in the first half. Oregon's defense played really well in the game, much better than I thought they would have. The secondary looked really, really good in the game, had a couple of good picks. The defensive line got a lot of pressure. Linebackers were flying all over the field. Troy Dye had a couple of missed coverages on the wheel routes that, that Auburn was able to exploit early in the, or in the middle part of the game, but still led the team in tackles. So I think defensively, Oregon's going to be better than we thought. I loved the play calling from Andy Avalos. What a world difference it made from last year. There was confusing coverages. They were changing it up. They were blitzing. They were flying all over the ball. One game in, I'm loving the Andy Avalos hire from Boise State as the defensive coordinator because I thought the defense played really, really well. And you think, at least me, uh, the one thing I was thinking is, like, what could Avalos have done with an extra timeout, you know, at that point? You know, instead of using An two, extra two timeouts. Oh, yeah, it, an extra two. Instead of using two on the same play that didn't work uh, and you end up punting on one of them, like, 
what could he have been able to do if he had had two timeouts? What kind of package would he have been able to set up for himself uh, to be able to stop them from scoring? So I think about that as well, and this really comes down to Cristobal just not making good decisions. However we want to look at it, Arroyo Cristobal, this is Mario Cristobal's team. And at the end of the day, uh, his word is gold. And if this is this is on his shoulders. We can blame Arroyo all we want to. We can blame the defense. We can blame, you know, the, the lack of receivers. But at the end of the day, this is Mario Cristobal. Just this text came in, too, and we'll go to break after this. 2007 San Jose quarterback coach fired. 2010 Wyoming quarterback coach fired. 2011 California quarterback coach quarterback coach fired 2013 Southern Miss wide receiver coach fired 2014 Tampa Bay quarterback coach fired 2016 Oklahoma State running back coach fired Marcus Arroyo now with Oregon he might be a solid recruiter and he, he certainly is but coaching wise he ain't it and I think I think yesterday proved that I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt of last year but someone's got to could be calling better plays than that I'm just it, it worked they were working they were all working, and then they weren't. They stopped doing them. I, like I said, at a point, you got to point the finger at the head ball coach. And, I mean, everybody else, yes, you got to do your job. But a Royal, to, for, for lack of a better word, man, last year, second in the Pac-12 scoring. There's 12 teams. I'm two. You know what I mean? And, and in a, a conference that's known for the scoring, you're second. This year, you were, you were great. You were great for 24 or, excuse me, for 30 minutes. You were an awesome team. And then second half, you weren't. And again, at some point, I have to point a finger at Cristobal. We've been we've done nothing but praise him for everything that he's been able to do uh, as the Ducks head coach, going from four wins to nine wins in a year. Like, yeah, at some point, you got to point at him and say, "Man, this is this is this is on you," because you could have been like, "Okay, change this play call. We're going back to the first half. What we were doing there," but he didn't do that. So we can say whatever we want to about Arroyo. He's not the head ball coach. Coming up next, Oregon State had a bit of uh, the same ideas as Oregon did. A lot of good things, but one key thing from last year that was bad was still bad. That was the defense as they fell to Oklahoma State on Friday. Let's dive into that next here on Football Sunday on The Fan. Xfinity, making it easy to access all your favorite entertainment at home and on the go. Xfinity, the future of awesome. Football Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Better you today. Text line is five, five, three, zero, five. It is nine 51 on your Sunday morning. We're here with you till 11 o'clock today. Talking football on football Sunday. NFL talk coming up next hour. Oregon state falling to Oklahoma state on Friday, 52 to 36. The final score game started great for the beeves. First drive methodical. Lots of yards. Offense looked good. Looked better than last year, even. And that's saying something because last year's offense was solid for Oregon State. Scored a touchdown. You're going, okay. All right, Beavis. I see what you're doing here. I'm not sure how good Oklahoma State's defense is, but I don't care. That was a great job. Good play calling. Everything looked good. Luke Luton was really, really solid and had great accuracy. Jamar Jefferson running the ball well again. First drive for Oklahoma State. Touchdown. And you're like, huh? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Here's the... Uh, Here's the defense that was a big issue last year. And it's struggling again. Oregon State gets the ball back. Hey, got a field goal. Took the lead right back. Defense holds Oklahoma State to a field goal. You're thinking, okay, things are looking up. And that's where it all kind of fell apart from there. Oklahoma State scored on every single drive the rest of the first half. And except for the end of play, end of half drive, which was a kneel down. 
and then scored on the first two drives in the second half as well. And Oregon State's defense, once again, was a nightmare against Oklahoma State. So I want to start with the positives on this one because the positives were there. Isaiah Hodgins, wide receiver, awesome. He is really stinking good and is going to be a star for the Bees this year. Jake Luton looked way better than I thought he's looked in his entire 17-year career for the Beavers. Uh, finally looked accurate and, and really poised in the pocket. And the running game is going to be good. Jamar Jefferson was not a fluke last year. He's a good running back. So Jonathan Smith knows how to call an offense. He knows how to run an offense. And that will be an exciting portion of Oregon State's season throughout this year. And and a reason why I think they could maybe some, surprise some teams this year and certainly get over that, what was it, two and a half over under wins this year for them. That offense is good. It's a good offense. I, I mean, I liked it. I like what I saw. At, let, me, well, let me take this back. I like what I saw at the beginning of the game. It really, it oddly looked a lot like uh, last year's game against Ohio State. You know, as they started the game, it looked for a, a while in the first quarter that, okay, looks like Oregon State's going to be able to hang around for a little bit. Uh, they kept punching back. And here's the situation. You saw Oregon State take an early lead, and I was like, ha, okay, Beavs. That's the type of offense I like to see. That was a quick drive, too, like four or five plays end zone. I'm like, okay, that's not what we're used to seeing from Oregon State, but it, it looks good. But as time progressed, you just start seeing that they just couldn't keep up with Oklahoma State, which is, I'm not going to say weird for me because I don't think any of us look at Oklahoma State as far as being like a powerhouse team. No, we but we know been, they have a powerhouse offense. Absolutely. And, but we know they've been good uh, in the past. They've, they've definitely had some some seasons where Oklahoma State has stepped in and, and been a, a big force in, in the Big 12, but we didn't know that they would be that. You know what I mean? And so for Oregon State to come out and really punch them in the mouth first – and really kind of keep it as competitive as they could, you know, especially with that defense. That's where that's where the recruiting needs to go now is to the defensive end. Offensively, like you said, you got some guys there that were just, man, absolutely phenomenal. If you didn't know that um, – what's, oh, what's the what's the receiver? Uh, Hodgins. Hodgins, thank you. If you didn't know he was that good, I didn't know Isaiah Hodgins was that good, but he ended up being great. And Jamar Jefferson is as good as advertised. Like, I think he was fourth last year and – or excuse me, he was top ten last year and uh, rushing for college football. and all college football, he was top 10. So he's somebody that can definitely light it up for you. And Jake Luton in his 6'7 frame throwing the ball, like you've, you've got things on offense that, you, that you've got to love, right? Defensively is where you're like, <sighs> so unless the offense can put up 60 points a game, like that's really, that's the only way I see this being a successful season. The offense has to score 70 because <laughs> if not, seriously, because if not, the defense is going to give up well, 50 points. The way I look at it is I think Oklahoma State's one of the better offenses that Oregon State's going to face all year. But you're right. The offense is going to have to score a ton of points to keep Oregon State in these games because the biggest issue last year was defense. And we got this text, and I think it's a really good one. Beaver D added three to four Pac-12 caliber bodies to the two deep. But what concerned me was the pre-snap confusion, arm tackling, bad angles. I don't want to use the depth excuse, fellow Beav fans. It was game one. I get it. We need more time to see if Tibisar can, quote, get it done. But I don't need any more time to know that he's not a special coach or a home run hire as defensive coordinator. I don't know if I want to go that far yet because I think Oregon State really just doesn't have great defensive players. But the the biggest issue I had, and that comes this comes down to coaching, was, oh, my God, they took the worst angles to every single tackle in the first half. Just watching it, Oklahoma State was, whichever player had the ball was in range to be tackled, and the players just took terrible angles and gave up 15 to 20 more yards per play than they had to. And some of those plays turned into touchdowns for Oklahoma State. It was just, 
it was laughable defense at the highest level for Oregon State. And I think it's concerning because you just hoped it would be better than last year. And obviously it's game one, so there's still time for it to be better. But some of that stuff is such mental coaching stuff that it worries me that I'm not sure it's going to get better. No, I mean, I think – and I think you can coach tackling. You can you can teach guys how to tackle. You know, you look in high schools and – You have to take better angles. You have to take better angles, and I think that really comes with, you know, better defensive coaching. And really – and mind you, tackling something that as kids we learn how to do in the fifth and sixth grade. Uh, the thing is now there's different rules and laws against, you know, for youth football and high school football to where – they, they never really learn how to hit. They never learn how to tackle. And so, especially in the open field, like I think it's easy when you're in the box or something like that and you're trying to take someone down, yes, because there's so much happening right there to where it's easy, kind of easier, excuse me, to reach out and take somebody down. But one-on-one tackling somebody, like they go for that juke and they, just, they have no idea how to wrap up and take them down and take a spin move. And it's just, it's, it's, it's sloppy. And it's not just Oregon State. I mean, granted, they struggle with it the most, but we saw this with Oregon, you know, a lot of times, you know, giving up 400 rushing yards to, you know, FCS schools, you know. And so it, it was one of those things that we saw that quite often. So I think some of that has to do with in the offseason, you're not allowed to hit and tackle yeah, at the same level. So stuff. it's and there, we saw it across college football week one. There was some really ugly, just poor games of lack of solid execution on both sides of the ball. So and this could certainly be fixed, but. It was just massively concerning. And this is why I've always been okay with scheduling that Appalachian State or that terrible, that that Utah Community College. I'm always good with, with teams getting that game to start their season just because college football is the only, even, even high school football has a jamboree. They have an opportunity to go out there and work out their plays, see who works well, see who works in what situation, and be able to kind of work those things out. College first game, you're against Auburn. First game against Oklahoma State. Go out there and win. Like without being able to find out if your guys can tackle or not, or if guys can take hits because they have because receivers haven't taken one. Like I'm okay with them scheduling those those you know whack division you know division three teams week one to be able to figure out their offense. Like it's great for the division three team to get to play against Oregon State. It's great for Oregon State to be able to work out all the kinks they need. And no, this is how we tackle, and this is how this the play out the the play action supposed to work. Like I don't understand why college is the only the only division of football that doesn't have at least some type of preseason game. If you think a spring game is preseason, you're crazy. I did enjoy, selfishly, so Syracuse played Liberty. They're not an FCS team. They're an independent FBS team. Syracuse's offense, which is good. I mean, I'm a Syracuse grad, for those who don't know, uh, is really good. looked awful, and they still won 24-0. It's like get the kinks out against the team that you can beat before you go play real teams. It's just it makes it a little bit more stomach stomachable. That's not a word, but you know what I mean. Uh, all right, let's break. Let's get to a couple more texts on the Beavs next, and then we'll sw- slide into the NFL as well in hour number two. Jadeveon Clowney traded to the Seattle Seahawks. LaShawn McCoy cut. Kiko Alonso traded to the Saints. Laramie Tunsil traded to the Texans. This weekend was nuts for the NFL, and the games didn't even start yet. Thursday, game one. Uh, so we'll get to all of that in hour two here on Football Sunday on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law.